It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats and Television Podcast, Season 6, Chats on 5. My name is Alan, and in his world, we are better than we are. I much prefer his world to that of my own. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to John to the show. Now I wish that I had the quote that Dylan says about Lanier, like he's by, he's been by my side forever and without him I'm gonna die. There it is. That's the quote. That's what I say though. What? What? Stop! Please keep going. No, stop! Don't stop. <laughs> I think Dylan. I think I'm Dylan. Right? Mm. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. And take two. <laughs> no, you, you, there's definitely aspects of the land that you embody. I mean, moral fiber, nice hair. Thank you. And welcome. a third. A third one. Awesome. Uh, how you she doing, likes, She respects the workers. She respects the workers. Oh, okay, 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 sorry. She respects the workers. Got it, got it. How am I doing? Yeah, yes. how are you? No, no, no. <laughs> no? All right. No, 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 no. Uh, well, I'm doing okay. I've got I've got my uh, sparkling water here. You know, I used to be such a snob about looking down on people who drink sparkling water. Mm-hmm. It's good though. It's good. It's like a fun version of water. You just described just described. We just discovered uh, hydro homies today. I just discovered what? Hydro homies. Yeah, you were telling me about hydro homies earlier. It's just people who like water. Yeah, so Majon had linked me a tweet where someone was talking about how good water is, and uh, was it? Did you also? You didn't send me the paper cup thing, but I yeah, someone in that Twitter thread was like, "Wow, we're all big fans of Hydro Homies here." And I found this post that was like, uh, somebody asking which one is better, a plastic cup of water or a paper cone of water, <laughs> and their their reply was, "Bro, I promise you, the paper cup gonna be the best sip of water of your life." <laughs> <laughs> good it's just pro water agenda i love this i usually don't like subreddit i mean i usually don't like reddit but this sub the hydro homies subreddit is actually very good uh and it's also very anti-soda so there's like this post that's called soda.jpg and it's just a can of soda with the words can diabetes on the side that's awesome <laughs> it shreds dude i'm into it i really like it yeah drink very pro- drink water everybody i don't know if drinking sparkling water even counts as drinking water I was drinking a lot of this like Sprite Zero that I had in the fridge recently, and I was like, this feels nice because it has zero everything in it. And then I realized that by zero everything, they mean aspartame, which yeah. is just a different sugar. Yeah. Like, a you know, and it, it can affect the body in worse ways than regular sugar can. So careful on your intake, folks. Drink your water, though. And I, yeah, now I'm drinking from a big sippy as we speak. That's what I got going on. It was great. Uh I just came back from a mini vacation since the last time we recorded. Mm. That was fun. You're in the great state of Maine. The first thing my dad asked me was, did you go to Poland Springs? Is that where it is? Yes. I was like, father. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's a ve- it's like a very big state. It's way bigger than you think it is. Uh, Maine, that is, because uh, it's long, like it's tall. Um, so you really can't go to Poland Springs. We were in like a we were in Acadia National Park for people who are like, where in Maine were you? Mm. Um, just doing national park things like kayaking and binge drinking. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Um, but I'm back and I'm here and we're excited to talk about television, right, yeah, Michelle? Let's do it. Hell yeah! Uh, every week we watch two episodes of Babylon Five and we discuss them. And this week we watched season four, episode thirteen, "Rumors, Bargains, and Lies." We also watched season four, episode fourteen, "Moments of Transition." "Rumors, Bargains, and Lies" was written by J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Michael Vehar. It aired May 12th, 1997, and it took place from May 19th to the 21st of 2261. Magellan, what happened in this episode? In this episode, Captain Sheridan comes up with an elaborate ruse to convince the League of Non-Aligned Worlds to request his assistance. Delenn approaches Nehrun in an attempt to end the Mimbari Civil War. Alan, what did you think of Rumors, Bargains, and Lies? Ah, man. Oh, boy, this one. It's been a bit. I feel like it's been a little bit over a minute since I watched Babylon 5. So I kind of like took some time to adjust. Yeah, has to... it been? I, it does feel that way. It Yeah, sometimes our recording schedule means that we might go like a week and a half or two weeks without actually watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, because we get ahead and then we fall not ahead. So I it feels like I was getting used to the vibe for a while. Um, but Sheridan in general in this episode is off character i guess or off brand yeah uh he's definitely sillier than usual but like the ultimate goal of this silliness and this weird deception is a smart military play that's in line with sheridan so like it definitely makes sense by the end but when i started this episode i was just like what is going on because it's that contrasted against this like very sad minbari civil war plot happening Mm -hmm. Um, but i liked both overall by the end what about you it's interesting that you say that about Sheridan because this episode, Sheridan's lead, leading one plot and Delenn is leading the other. They're separated. And so for the first time in a while, we kind of have Sheridan without Delenn and Delenn without Sheridan. And I think I feel sort of opposite ways about what happened with their characters. Sheridan without Delenn the other command staff, they even say it like, oh, ever since Delenn left, he's been acting really weird. He's over there giggling in the side of the cafeteria and like banging on the table and shouting <laughs> uh, vague things at us. Mm-hmm. Whereas Delenn turns back into badass, super wise, uh, you know, going to tell everybody what's what Delenn from season one. I loved it. Yeah, this is further proof that Delenn without Sheridan is just more competent. It's more and, interesting as a character. Because yeah. she has so much agency and she knows that. Like so being the person who instigated the Earth and Body War and the person who uh disassembled the Grey Council, she acknowledges that she has a lot of power in her hands. Uh, and she she knows how to use it, and she's trying to get things to stop being on fire. Because as it is, uh, Minbar is on basically just Civil War watch. It's a very scary situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where do you want to start? Do you want to do the Sheridan one or the Delenn one? 
I think the Sheridan one is a good way to start because it's pretty... Once you know all of it, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So Sheridan's on this really big play. He's he's really kooky at the beginning, and he's kind of caught up in thought, and everyone is like, is Sheridan okay? Like, is he drunk? Uh, Ivanova sniffs his coffee to see if he's been drinking or something. That's funny. Yeah, because he's talking about, like, I don't know what I'm going to do, about the non-aligned worlds don't want, like, the leaders of non-aligned worlds don't want to join us. Yeah, everyone's in, uh, having this conversation. It's like uh, Marcus, Franklin, Ivanova, and Zach Allen are like, oh, man. Those non-aligned worlds are so annoying. We got to get them, blah, blah, blah. Sheridan just is kind of cackling off to the side. Oh, no, no, nothing. Oh, no. Um, and then yeah. they have, he's the moment where he's like, we need, like, no one's going to get them to do it. And he's like, huh, I have an idea. Uh, and he leaves and runs away and starts giggling. And you're like, what is Sheridan's plan right now? Mm-hmm. Um, the, what, what also confused me about it at first uh Similar to Londo, because in the next scene, he's speaking to Londo. Really happy to see that boy again, by the I way. miss him. Oh, man. Uh, you miss him a lot. It's, it's just great, because now that he's Londo not burdened by... so much. I hear we're getting an episode with the two of them very soon. Thank God. Right? Um, yeah, you just I just missed like his personality and his, uh, his like boisterousness. And now that he's not burdened by war on his own plan and it's more like hey what like how does he react to sheridan's plans yeah uh because sheridan is saying that uh you know i'm happy that you're doing the resist you're letting us station white stars at your your base don't tell anybody that we did that on purpose and he, and lana's confused because he's like wasn't the whole point that you would station them at our uh home planet and then people would be excited and jealous and want to do that and he's like yeah but don't tell anyone he's like all right that sheridan that's really weird and then they talk about um, these magicians who they really like or that Londo hates because he's confused yeah. by. Rebo and Zudi. Yeah, did you look this up? Yeah, I knit this up. Okay, but tell me about Rebo and Zudi. What's the deal? So they're magicians. They do this thing where one of them goes, Zudi, zoot, zoot. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and Sheridan's like, I love it. When they do the thing, they go, Zudi, zoot, zoot. And then it's like, ha it's funny. And you're like, Sheridan, are you on drugs this episode? This is where I genuinely oh was God. like, Sheridan, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, you looked it up. Oh, I looked it up. Yeah. Isn't it great? I'm excited. Oh. Let's not talk about it because there are people. Oh, I looked it up. Oh, yeah, my there God. Pe- there are people who don't know about this. Oh, no. This is the only time I've ever had something spoiled for me where I wish I didn't know it. Yeah. Just to, ru- to run oh. into that. Oh, I had found. I think I had found this out like years ago. Like before we watched Babylon 5, I knew that that was a thing. Magellan, we just, you got to just watch Magellan spoil himself and so it spoil his pants apparently as well. It oh, sounds I'm like. so happy and so uh, I wish I, it was a fresh mm-hmm. Season 5 is going to be wild is what you're saying. What'd you say? Yeah. I said Season 5 is going to be wild um, but don't read any more about that episode because that episode is going to be bonko. Yeah, I just was looking for when it happens. Uh, so anyways, um, they're talking about this stuff, and it's just it's mostly for a gag of Sheridan being like, oh, I love that zooty zoot zoot. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, then they, we get the Drazi ambassador um, who's really worried about the whole situation on Centauri. Uh, and I'm con- I'm continuing to watch this and be confused about, like, what is the play here? Well, because then before he talks to the Drazi, he gets on... Um, he gets on the communication thing. I don't know what you call that. He talks to Marcus. He sends Marcus to like an asteroid field with the White Star <laughs> fleet. And he says, hey, 
blow up some asteroids. And Marcus says, what? And he says, blow up some asteroids. And then Marcus is like, okay. And then Sheridan says, and then come back. That's your that's your mission. <laughs> he treats it very seriously. And then come back promptly, please. Yeah. And don't uh, leave a trace. And he's like, why, why would I say, do what I said? Bye. <laughs> it's just so weird. This one, this one, that was like the last thing that made sense to me. But I guess it's just so that they think that there's an attack happening. Yeah. So ultimately what this all adds up to, Sheridan gets Londo to say nothing's going on. He himself to the Jirazi say nothing's going on. He gets Marcus to shoot some asteroids. He gets uh, Franklin to run into them in the hallway and be like, hey, could I get a bunch of extra blood? No reason. Not a big deal. Just in case something bad happens. Anyway, I hope I see you guys again. I hope you don't die. How much blood do you need? As much as you can give. Um, all of it. Of course, Franklin is like the guy that Sheridan knows will lie. That says something about Franklin's morals, I think. Right. You're very willing to just play a bit for me. Because um, like Ivanova maybe is not. She's pretty resistant when. Haha, voice of the resistance. Uh, when Sheridan yeah. goes to the voice of the resistance broadcast and he's kind of like playing with the curtains or whatever and says, oh, by the way, could you just say that nothing happened over in this corner of space? No reason. Just say nothing happened. It's not a lie. Mm-hmm. You're not lying. It's not propaganda if you're not lying. Right. Which is a interesting statement. Um, <clears throat> and all of these things add up to the Drazi and the other non-aligned worlds saying something is going on and they're trying to exclude us from it. This isn't fair. We deserve yeah. this blockade. So it's this whole reverse psychology thing. It's very amusing to watch it unfold. I was mm-hmm. uh, pleasantly surprised by how amusing the plot was. Because it's not often that plots along these lines are fun. It's always this the tone that the cast had at the beginning of the episode of, oh, what a slog getting these guys to do what's in their best interests. But uh, this was, you know, it was kind of kind of corny and cute and a good counterbalance to the this deathly seriousness of the other half of this episode and uh, next episode. Right. On one on one hand, we're getting these non-aligned worlds. Who, my only like kind of minor criticism of this plot line is that it sort of paints the non-aligned worlds as like really ignorant. Yeah. Uh, and really silly. Like we already know that the Drazi are silly because they're the people who back in season one were killing each other over the color of their like sashes. Yeah. But there, I mean, like there's the gas mask people and all the other aliens who are just as competent, like in theory, as you know the humans and the Centauri and then Bari. But in this, it's like, oh, they fell for it. We tricked them. We manipulated them into into doing what we wanted them to. Which you had pointed to me uh, via text message that that's like kind of Vorlani of the of, of yeah. Sheridan. Yeah, it's it definitely made me uncomfortable. Kind of like I understood that you know this ultimately this plot is played for comedy, and that leads me I think sometimes to excuse things that would be questionable otherwise. You know, like that mm-hmm. Ivanova plot where she's like seducing the aliens that she doesn't have to have sex with them remember the like yes. let's do it the human way he's like god but this is funny sort of so maybe it's okay i don't know and uh so the way that i felt about this was 
I was laughing, and I think that the actors portraying the non-aligned world guys sell it really well. This sort of slapstick consternation. And I love the moment where Sheridan's about to come in the room and they're like, we're going to tell him that we know. And then they're like, no, wait, the smart thing would be to act like we don't know anything. Right. (laughs) Um, We got this. We're smart, you guys. And the moment where they're like, oh, the White Stars are attacking an enemy that isn't there. So they must be invisible. Oh, God. Uh, So scary. (laughs) The only invisible ships we've known are the White Stars. Wait a minute. Um. So that was funny to me, but the concern is how cavalier Sheridan is about two things in my mind. Okay. About just like what Ivanova was objecting to, using the voice of the resistance thing as a tool of manipulation. Because he wasn't getting her to say something that was false, but he was getting her to talk in a way that purposefully misled people. Which feels compromised ethically Mm -hmm. speaking and then the other thing that bothers me is what you were just saying we were texting about which is the entire point of the end how the shadow war ended was the humans and the mimbari and the non-aligned worlds and all these younger races said to the vorlons and the shadows look you cannot puppet us in your conflicts anymore You cannot trick us into fighting your wars or manipulate us or whatever. We reject it and we are going Mm -hmm. to make our own universe. And now Sheridan is turning around and acting like he knows what's best for everybody. And he's manipulating people into fighting his wars. And maybe he's right that it's for their own good. But it definitely smacks of this self-importance and honestly, the kind of like God complex thing that Garibaldi has been talking about, and we'll get to Garibaldi and what exactly is going on with him. But like you could read it that way. I think you could also read it as just Sheridan's being like a shrewd military tactician. and he, Which he's always been, right. And he just <clears throat> knows that this is, it's like no harm, no foul kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's not like hurting there's them. no negative to this like he's he's helping them he wants to give them resources he's just giving them an opportunity to ask for it or he needs an opportunity he needs them to ask for it before he can help right them. so i'm just conflicted about it i guess mm-hmm. um but it feels like he's falling into some vorlon-esque uh ways of doing things that yeah, yeah. that i don't know if the show is since this is a comedy plot, I don't know if the show is like self-aware of that and if it's going to deal with that. But I don't know. Every time I ask myself, like, is the show going to deal with this? They do. So right. maybe they will. They totally could. Um, I think it even like kind of buys into the idea that the one of the things that Lorian told him was like, you guys are now the new, like the best race like the best, but he kind of means like in that time he's saying like the best generation of of aliens and not and different alliances like not just specifically humans obviously mm-hmm. but like the next your generation is as good as it's going to be and then you're going to be the best and you're going to help the next one out yeah you're going to be us to somebody else and so I wonder if that's like Sheridan unconsciously starting to do that uh, or mm-hmm. is it a situation where he's like you we need you guys to f- help us fight our wars. There's a little bit of there's enough diciness to that that I think the show has time and and the opportunity to 
address it, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, people know. People watch this show. Uh, so, you know, we have this plot, and meanwhile, uh, Lanier is getting his lungs collapsed <laughs> in another plot line. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, so the Minbari Civil War, which we've been building to for a while, has fully broken out. People are actually fighting on the, in the Minbari capital now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get this really sad scene where Delenn is lamenting to Lanier how beautiful the city used to be, and we see this through, like, this really cool overlay flashback where she's, like, looking at the city. Mm-hmm. But it's like not how it currently is, and then we cut a little bit, and it's like the city is in shambles. Yeah, uh, it's on fire. People are fighting each other. Warrior cast is fighting religious cast, etc. Um, she gets there, and uh, she's confused as to why Narun didn't respond to her message. I really like how that scene ends, by the way, where Lanier is um consoling her, and then he kind of does this weird jab at her or maybe not really, but it's just a a mournful sigh and a look at the screen. And he says, it really was a beautiful city. He leaves. Uh, Oh yeah. I I could definitely see that read of that. I think it's a little, it's a little misty eyed ambiguous in a way. Yeah. Like Like he's he's kind of bitter. He's kind of nostalgic. It's complex. Yeah, it's very complex. I think it's 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 also just a like lamentation for the way things are. Like you said, nostalgic is a good word for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, things we can't change have affected that. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets there. Narun Narun hasn't responded to her, and he finally arrives and says, "Do you want to chat?" And she's like, "No, I want to speak privately to you." And he's like, "Okay." I re- I've, it made me realize that my new least favorite uh, dialogue trope is, uh, "I need to speak with you alone." It, in private. Yeah. Uh, my question is, why do they just need? Why does this need to be private? Their conversation. Yeah. Because they make the whole plan for how to stop but, the war, bro. Yeah, but doesn't some of the plan? Uh, this is something you could definitely answer for me easily. I'm not like saying that the yeah, show yeah, is wrong in yeah. this, but like, doesn't the plan almost fall apart because people don't understand their situation well enough? No, everything goes according to their plan. But they didn't expect the bad guys to try, or it almost goes bad, I'm saying. Like, they, the bad guys wouldn't have, tr- or not the bad guys, the religious caste wouldn't have tried to drop a bomb to kill everyone, so th- or a stink bomb, whatever. Th- yeah, so this is where I'm I'm not 100% sure how much Delenn knows or doesn't know. Because in okay. the conversation that she and Narun have, they say, which is beautiful, by the way. Narun yeah. is my favorite part of both of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a masterful performance of like bluster, but also is his sort of like come to Jesus arc here. Yeah. Uh, his redemption, I suppose. He was never really like totally lost, but it's so cool to see him kind of gradually have epiphanies over the course of these two episodes. Um, but the what they end up talking about is he says, oh, Delenn, you're right. Like one side can't win this. That's the whole problem with why we're rebelling against you is because you took unilateral power. And like we both know that that's wrong. And you've realized that that was wrong to dissolve the council and become <laughs> dictator Delenn. Mm-hmm. Um 
so he's like, okay, I'm with you. I agree that nobody should be able to win. That said, if we act openly in any way, our casts are going to turn against us and hurt us. Oh, because we're two against a world on fire, I think is the line. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah. okay, that explains it. That is where I don't know. They sort of know that they're in danger of their cast rebelling against them. And I don't know to what extent they pre-planned how they would respond to that. Mm-hmm. But like what happens to Nairun is one of the warriors bonks him on the head with a staff. And he gets mm-hmm. a bad boo-boo. He gets a cartoon bump. Uh, yeah, he gets a cartoon bump. And then the thing that happens with Delenn is, like you were saying, the religious caste people decide to plant. They're like, can we kill her? We can't kill her. We can't kill him. Uh, uh, we can't let her get back to Mimbar because then she'll surrender or whatever. I know what we'll do. We'll put like gas in the vents and poison everybody on the ship. Better to die a holy death than to have to keep having these conversations. Yeah. Or not the holy death, but like die of a good death or something. Yeah. Uh, Go to the big sleep. or, or Yes, that's the line. Funny channel. funny to mention that both of these episodes feature like dramatic plot lines where somebody says, and the, we're, and the lens not going to get back to Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. For completely different reasons. Yeah. Um, so the question mark that I have is the religious cast plants this thing. And then after Nerun gets hit on the head, Delenn's like, well, man, the warriors, they're fucked up, huh? It's a good thing you guys are super cool and wise and love me and you never do something crazy. And you know that like we're going to fight and we're not going to surrender. And they're all looking at their at their feet like Like, guilty, guilty kids. Oh, man. This is the most Homer Simpson pulling his collar moment, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're watching the gas, not, not literally, but you might as well be watching the gas like fill from behind her being like, you guys are so nice and you would never betray anyone. And they're like, goal. <laughs> yeah. And so so I don't know in that moment, and I don't think it's really answered if Delenn is truthfully saying that to them or if she knows what they're doing or knows that it's possible that they're plotting something and she's purposefully guilt tripping them. Right. I think she's definitely guilt tripping them. Yeah, I think so. She's she has her her stuff together, um, even though it is not necessarily directly her who saves the day here. But I don't think she knew about the the poison, the gas canister. No, she definitely didn't know about the poison yeah. gas because that's the whole thing. Is that Lanier at the end? Shoutouts to our homie, saves the day, goes into the like hears about them doing the gas thing and goes in quietly and stops himself almost at the risk of his own life. Uh, and having her get a part of his lung removed, and then he's asked in the hospital bed by Delenn, like she's like, "What? Who, what happened? Like, what was the situation?" He's like, "Oh, I just walked by and I saw a gas leak and I fixed it." She's like, "It wasn't sabotage." He's like, "No. Why would I ever? Why would I? Why would I cause more conflict or betray anyone?" Because earlier in the episode, uh, or actually, no, this is the moment where he says the thing I called you, which he's like, "In her world, we're better than we are. I prefer her world to that of my own." Because everyone's like, "Why didn't you tell on us?" And he's like, "Yeah." the ideal that she has is better than anything we could imagine. And all we can do is work towards that. So like, let's not try to make more problems. Um, and, he's, and he does it he's, selflessly and he's able to lie because he's lying to preserve someone's honor, which is the, the classic. Oh, the Mimbari Mimbari rule, right. Mm-hmm. 
Because you could also read it as like, if you want to say that Delenn is playing three-dimensional three-dimensional chess with everybody, you could say that like she knew about the poison and she sent Lanier so that they would feel bad. And then Lanier could be the one to say, you guys got to take a hard look in the mirror. Maybe that's too many steps to believe that Delenn was like ahead of the game and she just got lucky. And that Lanier was there to have her back. I guess that's a, mm-hmm. a more interesting read, right? That like I think so. Lanier just sort of caught, uh, or he, you know, alley-ooped it or whatever. Right, because then you get like in the second episode where the way that they explain how Lanier and Delenn are communicating is that she just hands him a piece of paper, being like, "Here's how you figure the plot out." Yeah, he's like, "Ah, yes, the answer sheet." Yeah. Um, but the the core of it is that. Delenn and Nerun know that people could act against them, but generally they have this a plan of like, here's what we're going to do. And they know that like they have to talk in private because they can't bring their cast people into the room and tell them, here's what we're going to do. Everyone would rebel against them and want to keep fighting the war. Right. But so that's where that goes. And then at the end of the episode, Lanier comes in and he says, Delenn, Nerun's gone. Dun, dun, dun. Hello, Commander. It's me, Nerun. I'm evil, and I'm talking to you, and we can totally kill those wimps. It's going to it's, be great. It's heartbreaking, dude. I, In this moment, it was heartbreaking. I kept the faith. You kept the faith? I mean, I had, you know, there was a pit in my stomach, and then I thought, you know... That pit could turn into a big tree. I'm, yeah, I'm going to choose to believe that this is a fake out. Mm-hmm. from the man himself jms because it, i i asked myself like what plot would i be more satisfied by the plot where nerun fulfills the stereotypes of being a warrior and then we like kick his butt or the plot where nerun is doing the double double cross i was like man yeah, the double double cross is always more fun yeah. Uh, than just like the sort of, I would argue, almost cynical r- version of this where it's just like, yep, and they are bad. Yeah. And they need to be defeated. Yeah. Which is like kind of where Delenn is left thinking about them at the end of the episode. But she like, knows should... that Nerun is going to leave. It's part of their plan. Oh, true. You're right. I think. No, you're absolutely yeah, right. I, I'm pretty sure it is. That's part of the thing on the paper, I think, as well. Yeah. Uh, that she gives. But... You know, we're watching this and I'm curious what people who watch this like week to week thought at the end of this one. Like, is this going to go somewhere? Because if you remember, like if you're really paying attention, uh, Narun, who's been around since season one, was it was explained that he like was religious cast, I believe. I if I'm totally not completely forgot wrong. about that. Yeah. And it felt like such a and we're not there yet, but like his religious turn in these episodes and his like the his possible heel turn felt like such a cool development on that mm-hmm. from way back in the day, like way back on that weird detail. Like, yeah, he didn't like cast systems are flexible and people change the way they think all the time. And he doesn't, he's not devoted to one over the other. Yeah. Or he is, but to the, the good with the side of good. Yeah. Uh, it's a good moment. And I was excited where this plot went in the second episode. Yeah. Um, so this one ends with uh, Narun working to establish dominance over the other casts. And I'm like, wow, what a liar. And then Sheridan gets the non-aligned races to uh, allow the White Stars to patrol their space in case baddies come by. Yeah. So this episode is such, it's a great classic example of 
two plots united by the common theme that's exemplified in the title, Rumors, Bargains, and Lies. Essentially, Mm -hmm. if you can accomplish what you want to through dishonesty, uh, like, is that okay? Is that for the best? Because it seems like Sheridan and Delenn both... Well, obviously, it seems like Delenn got uh, double-crossed, but we know that that's not how it goes in the second episode. Um, But so it ends up that Delenn and Sheridan both get what they want by twisting the truth um, and like plotting ahead in ways where, you know, I don't know how I feel about that ethically, but it certainly serves a greater good. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about that in regards to Sheridan's moment at the end of, of moments of transition. But um, in terms of the lens stuff, yeah, it feels like it's, it's answering this question of what do you have to do to, accomplish the goals you want like what sacrifices do you have to make and how do you make them and how do you frame them to people and all of that stuff um but before we get there Majan, i would like to read some emails let's do it the first email comes from our friend ryan who says just a few things i have to turn it down like eight levels no. let me just i'm glad to hear that you're enjoying the presence of the drach and i really liked what you said about them being more scary than the shadows leading up to the season you guys were told that there was no fluff in the season do you agree that uh, that is the case? And do you ever miss the fluff? Uh, I like season four, but I personally enjoy the fluff episodes of previous seasons for they help me separate what happens in an episode. And it makes me wonder how hard it will be for you to tackle the season four recap when the episodes bleed into each other so much. Um, to answer both of those questions, I do sometimes miss the fluff, especially I like good fluff, you know, like little like peanut butter and fluff kind of mixture. Delicious. Love it. Uh but do I, I don't think this will be hard for the recaps. I think for my summaries, it'll be really easy because I can just write a couple paragraphs of what happens in order and be right. And that'll be fine. Um, I think because when I, I write the way we bucket things might be a little harder. That's true. But uh, bucketing will be very difficult. But there's things they're like little unique nuggets of good stuff in every single episode. So mm-hmm. um, we might just end up changing it to like what's good about them instead of if they are good or not. Yeah. Um. On a final note, all I have to say is stop hating on my boy Zathras. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I dressed... my, you know, let me talk about what I think about the slush. Oh, you can go, I guess. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I just can't even think of like a fluff episode that was good, right? Like, name me a B5 fluff episode that's like a really great episode. King Arthur. That's the, the lounge... one that came to my mind, too, and it's a bad one um the the you're right i gave a look i like raised my eyebrows at my microphone i just i don't think that babylon 5 did fluff very well i think there are other shows that do that we've born to the purple like i which one's oh that's the one where he has adida adida yeah i did like that that's something that i miss is the sort of patient like character driven stuff instead of universe plot driven so that's what you mean by fluff i guess i missed that but overall i think that what season four is doing is what the show is the strongest at so i'm okay with that um but you know like farscape is a show where a lot of fluff in farscape like there's a lot of fluff and there's a lot of bad fluff with it but there's also a lot of good fluff Mm -hmm. you know like the looney tunes episode is like fluffed or a 
Jeremiah, not Jeremiah Crane, that's a bad one. What's the one where he's uh, in the video game? Oh, and it's like uh, Don Quixote? Yeah. The one that has my like icon that I use for everything, where it's Chiana with the funny hat? Yeah, that one, that one. What is that episode called? I don't remember what that one's called. What is that episode called? I know, the, people know the one you're talking about. Yeah, or the one yeah, where that's it's like, uh, let's get mar- pizza and margarita shooters, and he's like on drugs or whatever. Like, yeah. Farscape did fluff pretty memorably because it was so zany at times. B5, I think, doesn't. The fluff isn't always, like, as cool. I think John Quixote is the one you're talking about. John Quixote, that's right. Well, I said Jeremiah Crichton, which is the bad one. Yeah, John Quixote is the good one. Yeah. Uh, But regardless, yeah, I think what we're saying, like, what works with Babylon 5 is when the plot takes focus is, like, I still want character moments and moments of like peace and quiet and like we're getting that this season it's just that those aren't in the entire episode yeah i think it's a more balanced mixture yeah which, which is, is like what a, what a lot of mo- a lot of not all of modern tv is is this like mix of character moments but like a constantly progressing forward plot line mm-hmm. um so i think that works more to be fives like writing strengths is when they don't have to write an entire episode about an underground fighting arena for example uh god tko is one of the Worst episodes. Um, to continue with the email, though, he says he dressed up as Zathras for his 21st birthday party. So how dare us? Well, that's a fun costume. Yeah. For your birthday party. It's just for your you, own birthday party? It's just you as Zathras. And, and, and everyone, everyone else has else to be Zathras. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't say that. I'm saying that. Yeah. In all honesty, I understand the criticism. But for me, he's a favorite minor character and will always hold a place in my heart. That's so valid. You're allowed to feel that way, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, Jameis based the way that Zathras spoke on the way his Polish grandmother spoke with her lacking grasp of English. And as someone who had a Polish grandfather whose second language was English, I can attest to Zathras being spot on, although my grandfather's English was pretty decent. Okay. Well, if we've made fun of how Zathras speaks, then we should probably redact that, huh? It's specific. Well, I don't know. It's based on something that we didn't know about. So I don't feel bad about that. We just won't make fun of it from this point forward. Yeah, well, also, Zathras isn't on the show anymore, so oops. Yeah. Oops, oops. I really hope here. he's... I really hope he's in in the beginning. Um, That's what I'm excited I about. don't. Oh, <laughs> No, it isn't. Uh, no, it isn't. Um, But to speak to that, I just think that, like, when you enjoy a side character, and if... if or if, in general, if we don't like something and you like it a lot, that's super fine. Tell us that. I love to hear dissenting opinions. Yeah, tell us we're, we're a bunch of... Bunch of also, you jerks. got to watch this show like when you were younger, and so and not through a critical eye for a podcast. So maybe you were just like, "Oh, there's Zathras. That's silly. He there he is, and he's gone." Yeah, maybe like, you were just dumb. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're just a big dumb baby sucking your thumb, looking like, "Oh, Zathras, fucking idiot." No, <laughs> never call the listeners that. Yeah, I'm just saying that he was younger and he was just enjoying it for fun and not for criticism. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> You fiend! You're making me say bad things about the oh, You went in. Oh, yeah. that's fun. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan, for bringing up that controversy. Speaking of Zathras, right? Yeah. Next, we we have a few things from Nick, uh, who is quickly needing to have his own. Um, Nick label. Mail. Yeah, Nick, Nick Mail. Mail. I don't know how I feel about Nick Mail. We'll think about it. For now, it's Nick but Mail. But we didn't get Dan Mail this week, so I'm gutted. Yeah, we don't know Dan Mail. I hope he's okay out there, Dan. Hope you're all right. Dan, if you're friend. okay, please email us when you get a chance. Yeah, but you know, live your life. 
Live your life too. Oh, yeah. Um, you make us sound smart. So like that. Um, Nick always brings the fun of sort of unpredictable varieties. And this week, one of the things that Nick sent us was a little, a little scene that he's titled the one who dies. And, um, well, there's, there's, uh, three characters in here. There's computer, there's Warren Keffer, and there's mm-hmm. Zathras. So, um, yeah, I, I want to be Warren Keffer. Is that okay? That's valid. And you can be Zathras? Yes. All right, here we go. So it's a scene. A badly damaged Star Fury floats adrift in space. Personal log, August 2261. It's been nearly two months since the Vorlons destroyed Earth and Mars, and along with the shadows, have destroyed half the sentient species planets we know of. It's been nine months since Babylon 5 was destroyed. If I hadn't been out on patrol, I likely would have gone with it. Vessel detected on approach. Warning, oxygen levels critical. Keffer passes out. Cut to scene two. Keffer wakes up in a strange room. He wakes to this to a strange furry man poking and prodding at him. Hey, wh- what are you doing? Who are you? Oh, no. You must stay calm. You have had many damages, but Zathras is very, very good. I fix almost all, but you must stay so I can fix rest. What am I doing here? You are not supposed to be here. You should have died. What are you talking about? I darn almost died a dozen times already. Your search for shadows. You are supposed to find them. Record them, yes? So others would see and know they are back. You would die to do it. You are the one who dies. But no, no, you didn't do that. And now it is all wrong. Okay, so even if that is true... There's no way to change that. No, no, not true. Dral has been working hard to make Tachyon door for you to go back and fix it. But we must move. The shadows will soon know what we are doing, that we are here. Kefir approaches a room where a glowing door waits. He walks through. Scene 3, fighter pilot locker room. Kefir wakes up and in a shock realizes he's back on Babylon 5. He checks the computer for the system time. December 27th, 2259. The alert sounds. He runs to get ready, knowing he will not ignore his instincts to find the shadows this time. This time, he will find out about them, no matter the cost. Wow. So I guess this is Nick's attempt to like make Keffer seem like he was important or something. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or something. Oh, bring it on. We're coming for every fan today. Why are we just going? No, we're no. We've only gone for Nick so far. <laughs> what? Oh, was the other? I don't know oh, anymore. Yeah. They're all the same. <laughs> You're awful. We're gonna get canceled. You have Ryan, lost, bro. You have lost sixty dollars in patrons. We didn't even have that much. <laughs> Bummer. Um, no, no, thank you, Nick. That's yeah. I love it. We, you it. know, we're into we like to see a little place. So if people want to keep sending us, remember when we used to read scenes from uh, Farscape? Yeah, we should get back into doing that. We really should. Uh, if people have favorite scenes from Babylon 5 or whatever their favorite TV show and they want us to just read them in our voices, we can do that. You, did, you had a great Zathras accent. Thank Good you. Job. I had to practice I by watching find, a 30 second I couldn't clip find of Warren Keffer, I, uh, the voice. He's just the everyman. He's the nothing man. Yeah. I feel like he had kind of like a, you know, a jockish thing, but I couldn't quite remember. What What's up? What's going <laughs> on? It's not like that. Hey, it's a Warren Keffer. 
Water cover. Let's try it, you bro. Try it, dude. Let's try it for sure. Uh, right. I came across an article that was like I dated Beto O'Rourke in college, and this is what it was. Oh like. no! <laughs> it's just like he was a normal dude. I don't know why I thought oh. of that. I think because my cartoon image of Beto O'Rourke is Beto O'Rourke is the Warren Keffer of the 2020 race, right? Christ, Christ, you. you're, not wrong. you're uh, not wrong. Nick also sent us a more traditional Nick mail here. Hey guys. I don't know if Dan meant this or not, but his reference to the actress Carrie Dobro playing an unnamed Bikiri, a Bikiri merchant, uh, but she also played the role of Dr. Harrison in the episode Exogenesis, even more timely. Uh, that's Yummy! Response from last week. I think the easy answer to Michael Garibaldi's love of Looney Tunes was that the network was owned by WB, and I think it was easy uh, to clear any of that stuff to use on Babylon 5, but it still fits, uh, though. That's interesting. Okay, that's Val. I like that. Franklin's wording was bad. When they said they want to take out President Clark, I never took this to mean actual assassination. And I just want to say, don't focus on that as uh, as it for sure is not that. Hardly the hero thing to do to just figure <laughs> out how to s- snipe the president. I, so I guess they mean Good like point. take him out of office, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Replace him with a dog. I know you mentioned... Talking dog. Yeah. I know you mentioned you were first aware of JMS for his work in comics, but in case you haven't read it, I highly recommend his series Rising Stars. I was first told of it as a good version of Heroes, the NBC series. While it, is certain, while it certainly isn't exactly that, it is a really great take on the idea of superheroes thrown into a world that didn't have them before. Uh, have you read that before or heard about it? I have not, actually. Check it out. It looks interesting. In regards to JMS and Sense8, and more specifically to his work with transgender topics, he seems to have always been ahead of the curve. In Rising Stars, he addresses the topic. In the Babylon 5 pilot, he originally had plans for Delenn to present as male, and transition not only to partial human, but also to female. And then, of course, his long friendship friendship with the, the Wachowskis. But there was actually another instance where he tried, albeit in a joking way, again on B5. I've included oh the link below. But the short of it is that at a fan convention, Peter Jurassic and Andre Katsoulis played a joke on JMS where they told the audience to stay dead quiet when JMS was introduced on stage. (laughs) It was such a horrible feeling for him that JMS swore one day he would get them back. Years later, he wrote the script for the next episode where Jakar transitions from uh, male to female and to start to have romantic feelings for Londo. He kept up the ruse, including starting costume work for his transition before finally relenting after he saw them squirm for a good few days. The sad part is that a trans person had first said to him that they were super proud of the story idea, only to feel betrayed that it was used just as a practical joke. But hey, nobody's perfect. It's true. Um, Thanks, not at all evil twin, Nick. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah, so I think in regards to all of this stuff, like how we've talked before about how the Delenn trans plot wouldn't have worked because uh, Jameis is not a trans person, first of all. Um, and second of all, it was the 90s, and there's like no way that that exactly as it had been written would have made it to air, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, that's just the world that we were in. Um, I will say that he's definitely learned that lesson, though. It's not like I would expect him to fuck it up in the, in the present because, yeah. you know, even though he's partly showrunner on Sense Eight, um, the Wachowskis wrote a lot of the stuff, and also like were on for every line of dialogue, as I understood it, for the trans character on Sense Eight. Like he didn't, he didn't even attempt to do that on his own. Mm. You know, he defers to other people when it comes to things that he's not capable of writing, and I respect that a lot. Oh, cool. Um, 
but it's a it's an interesting idea uh and we were actually just in regards to like jms stuff looking at like reviews of his new book because we mm. kind of timely we just he just put out his autobiography mm-hmm. uh becoming superman mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. yeah uh, I really want to check it out. If people have started reading it, let me know how it is because I'm like super interested in his early life and how he got into TV writing. Um, but anyways, folks, thank you for all the emails. Um, our last one I should probably just post on the Twitter. Uh, it was a, like a one-sentence nickname that said, uh, Jason at the lake. And it's a <laughs> picture of a man that looks like Jason Ironheart, like a statue of a guy like rising out of a lake looking like Jason Ironheart becoming. And it's... The, this is the good content. This is the content I, I create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so check that out. And we will be right back after a brief but delightful musical break to discuss moments of transition. Welcome back to Chat Salon 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 4, Episode 14 of Babylon 5, Moments of Transition. It was written by... Jims. <laughs> Jims. Jims. Directed by Tony Dow. It aired May 19th, 1997, and it takes place between May 20th and September 1st. That's quite the spread of 2261 really it covers that much ground are you sure why is that the case well i'm glad you asked i don't know let me confirm that (laughs) that is confirmed i confirmed it whoa weird well where's the end of the episode oh yeah yeah that makes sense why does that make sense the end is like later Oh, you're saying like maybe most of the episode happens within a couple days and then we smash cut to like months later? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I'll buy it. For a dollar? For a dollar. Buy it for a dollar. Well, it intersects with the previous one because bargains, rumors, bargains, and lies went until the May 21st. Yeah, okay. That, so some of this episode uh, was happening before that. I'll accept it. Uh, will you tell me what happens in it, though? Sure, I will do that. The Mimbari Civil War comes to its fiery conclusion. Bester returns to the station to make an offer to an increasingly desperate Alexander. Sheridan is compelled to act against Earth after receiving horrible news from Ivanova. John, 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 what did you think of moments of transition? (laughs) This is an episode that in the first few minutes, you're like, okay, standard chats thing that happens to us where the first episode's pretty good and the second episode's kind of slow yeah uh or like not as fun all right i'm in i'm here uh bester's here all right whatever i didn't even know that was gonna happen but now i know this isn't gonna be good and then by the time you hit like halfway through you're you're begging babylon 5 to forgive you forever doubting that it could be (laughs) you fools (laughs) it turns out to be an incredible episode by the end um 
the there are a few things that we can pick apart and talk about. There's the Bester and kind of Lita stuff. Well, there's really the whole world of like Bester, Lita, Zach Allen, Garibaldi interacting with each other. Um, and then there's the Mimbari stuff. Right. So let's pick apart. Let's see what we did before. Let's do the Babylon 5 stuff first and then do the Mimbari Civil War stuff, right? Yeah, I think that's that's worked for us. Cool. So we start the episode with Lita Alexander. She's talking to a woman who she wants to hire her for some freelance telepath work. And everything seems to be going fine until the woman says, okay, cool. So I'll just talk to Psychor about like, you. Ooh. Ooh, no, please do not do that. Um, and the woman says, listen, we can't hire you because our insurance only covers Psychor people. This made what this made me think about is in a world where telepaths exist, mm -hmm. you kind of do want something like Psychor to exist. Like here's what I was this what I was this is what I was thinking about. Okay. You don't Okay, Magdino, do not, go ahead. <laughs> you do not want a like fascist secret police. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. No. But oh, whoa! Sorry, my my boyfriend's here. He's <laughs> <laughs> taking me to the movies. Yeah, he's got a cool jacket. Um, but if I told you that there are people in the world who can read minds, yep, wouldn't you want for them to have to go through some sort of mandatory training? Training, sure, and like safety precaution. Yeah, sure, for sure. Why not? Yeah. So that's just what I was thinking about. Psychor must have started like that. They did. They did. Well, uh, I read the comic book that explains how Psychor started. The first. Oh, you did? Yeah, remember? We, uh, we oh, talked. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. basically, there was like a kid who was like, I can read thoughts, and nobody believed him for a while. And then they were like, mm, You probably need to be institutionalized. And then there was a couple of other uh, telepaths. And then they were like, ooh, we can't institutionalize this many people. Also, it might be real. Like, this isn't like a fake mental problem anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to, like, create a, uh, a structure for them and an order and a place for them to live and work that doesn't interfere with the rest of the world. <clears throat> so I guess, yeah, it was well-intentioned to start in a way. But, yeah, I agree that, like, the idea of there being a psychor makes sense the frustrating thing about this lita plot to me is that she doesn't like if you're not in that and you are a telepath is there just no support network for you you just don't have one at all anymore because this person is like oh you don't have licensing like you can't have a job i'm never you're not going to get a job anywhere because you don't have you don't because you're not registered under psychor even though she's obviously the most competent telepath in the area yeah, well, because this is the problem with Psychor is that you don't get to choose to leave Psychor once you have been trained by them. Yeah. You just get killed or erased or whatever. So she's operating like outside of the law. But you'd hope that in a truly just world, like telepaths who've proven that they can follow the rules and they know what the rules are could do something like this where they like mm. start their own business or whatever. 
So we're left struggling with this Lita situation where uh, we learn that she's not doing so well on money. Um, and her plot runs into Garibaldi's, who basically uh, is called very early in the morning by Mr. Edgar's. Uh, and he's like, hey, I have a job for you. And Garibaldi's like, you know, it's like four in the morning here. And he's like, I pay you and I can w- and I work on my time, not yours. So you wake yeah. up when I tell you to, which is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, you have to I want you to let a package through customs. I'm going to have you force a package through customs, which is super sketchy. And Garibaldi's like, can you tell me what it is? And he's like, of course not. It's not illegal, though. I swear. Believe me, because I pay you. Uh when he's working on that, Zach Allen almost catches him. And then, uh-oh, who's this little man with the fun black coat and the gloves that came here? It's Bester, everybody. Bester's yeah, out of here. nowhere. And then Bester appears is the, like, Babylon 5 plot line that almost always bums me out or disappoints me. But Bester arrives, and he says, hey, hold on, Zach, relax. My business has nothing to do with you or Ivanova or Sheridan or anybody in the main staff. And by main staff, he means main cast because he found our BT or character who doesn't get enough time. And he's like, hey, Lita, I noticed you're not on the you're barely in the main credits <laughs> of the show. Um, you could have your own show. Yeah. How'd you like that? We'll call it we'll call it Lita and Bester and we'll hang out. It'll be a great time. Yeah. We'll have a couch. We'll have a couch. We'll have guests on. We'll, it'll be like Horatio. Who's the Sounds. guy? No, not the. <laughs> who, who? No. Who's the guy who had Bill Clinton on played the saxophone? Oh, yep. Arsenio Hall. Thank you. He's like Arsenio Hall. We'll have guests I always, on. I always thought Arsenio Hall was a place. <laughs> you have to go visit Arsenio Hall. They have good sandwiches. You yeah. fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lita's watching a TV show. She's watching The Voice of Resistance or VOR. Uh, when Bester comes up to her and he's like, hey, baby. Um, this is dumb. because Well, not the, what he says, but his joke here. Because he's like, I'm going to provide you an offer since you, I've heard that you're not getting jobs. Um, I will give you the option to rejoin the Psycor as a deep cover agent. So you won't like be publicly marked as one. Um, but you can have the credentials of being in Psycor. You can have access to all of our resources. But, you know, just 10% of your income. That's fine. And then also, uh, well, nothing else really except the fact that I want, wait, your, wait, I want wait, your body. Wait. Okay. Can we? Yeah. That she's like, Ew. Ew, smack. His head spins uh, around seven times and then he gets stars above his head. You gross man. No, not for sex. Just to dissect you for science. To dissect you for science. Yeah. You weird lady. Yeah, he just basically is saying, um, since you have Vorlon in you, your body would be super useful, but I'm not gonna kill you. But what I'm not I'm not it's not that I'm not gonna kill you, I'm just not gonna obviously kill you. I'm gonna make it in your contract say that. You can. I can only have your body if you die by natural causes. Yeah, I think I don't know why Bester. I guess the reason he's so cheeky is because he can be. So when he says I want your body, he totally expects her to be like, "Wait a minute." Um, yeah, he's he's just having fun. Yeah, can. but she's like, "That's a terrible idea." You know, eat my ass, etc. Um, I'm not interested. Yeah, I'd sooner take a bullet in the head or whatever she says. Yes, than give Psychor anything. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> The part of that exchange that I found kind of amusing was another one of his conditions was, okay, you have to give us 10% of your pay. Yep. You have to wear the Psycor badge. Yep. And he was like, and the gloves, <laughs> which are just part of the discipline. Yeah, right. It's like, since when have the gloves been like a big 
Is it because when you touch someone, you can read their thoughts better or something? I, I think it is exactly that. Okay. I, that just was such a dorky thing of, you've got to wear the our cool gloves. Yeah, to wear our commissioned gloves. <laughs> they have our logo on the back, and they're polyethylene. They're great. Polyester, I mean. Um. Yeah, I was really happy with her in this moment because I was like, "Yeah, stick to your guns. Don't don't take a job you don't want." And I like empathized with Lita in this moment. Uh, later, she's in her room getting ready for dinner, and Zach Allen comes in. He's like, "Hey, what's going on? How you doing, Lita?" Uh, I, she's like, "Zach, would you like to stay for dinner?" He's like, "No, I got I got five places to be and nowhere to go." <laughs> um, he's like, "Hey, I wanted to give you this new once again." Zach Allen being such a morally just person saying i wanted to give you this news so that nobody else could do it like i want to be the person to tell you that we are moving you to a smaller quarter she's like wait what i just laid out all the furniture what the hell like she develops his accent and what's the deal you're pressuring me come on zach allen it's not fair i'm lead alexander um he's basically saying that the vorlons don't pay for your rent anymore you don't have a consistent source of income that and the ship can't afford to keep you in this like nice cushy apartment for one person so you're being bumped down she's really sad about it and she's like i'm never gonna find a job and then he's like i got a job for you um he asks her to scan uh garibaldi mm-hmm. and once again this is round two of lita trying to stick to her guns and being like i can't do that Garibaldi's the first person I met on B5. I respect him a lot, even though what he's been doing lately is kind of messed up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna scan him, even though I know you're doing it for a good reason. Yeah. Sorry. Uh Garibaldi, we find, is being asked to find someone's cat. I love that the like I I liked his line that they always find me. Because right. he keeps having such weird clients. Exactly. It's just every time we cut to Garibaldi in an episode, it's just like, find my daughter, find my cat. And later it's going to be, find my pet rock. Like They're just getting less and less important. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy goes away and then Lita comes in and she's like, hey, can you like help me with job stuff? Like, do you know anyone? Yeah. Um, basically, he offers her the opportunity to be his like point man for the ed- the like scanning mission or whatever. He's like, I can't see around corners, but you can think around corners. Mm-hmm. So I'd really appreciate you. Um, we get this weird moment that really scared me, actually where Bester walks by them and just basically is like, Garibaldi, you're no longer worth my attention, so I don't really care about you anymore. Bye. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Bester, you are a petty like high school child. Uh, yeah. And then I'm like, that's weird. And we bl- and then there's a beat. And then uh, Lita's like, uh, he totally just scanned your brain. And he's like, whoa. And Garibaldi flips out. Yeah. Chases Bester, throws him against a wall is ready to beat him up and he's like talk you fool and like literally a millisecond later he has uh security on him uh and he's in big trouble that scared me too yeah yeah that was intense it seems like well i mean the reason for all of this is that garibaldi's now in trouble and so is the idea that he can no longer oh he can't do the mission because bester tells edgar's that he's working with lita yeah that's something that edgar's says you got to get rid of that telepath yes because i don't i don't like telepaths i don't want to work with them and it's clear that bester is the one who did that because it must have been him yeah (coughs) unless you get another classic like bester doing a double like a two-level betrayal move uh he always narrates to himself what he's doing because he has no friends it's seriously it's very sad he doesn't have like that girl from season one who is just his like side his telepathic friend right yeah 
Um, so the last time it was his like girlfriend in cryostasis, and now it's just his personal log, where he's like, "Things are going exactly as planned." <laughs> he's just, uh, oh, what is that? This Cobra Commander. He is very Cobra Commander with the outfit too. Yeah. Um, and this part's also heartbreaking because as he's going, I'm so happy I finally tricked Lita into joining Psychor again. She's like literally weeping. As we yeah, see her looking in the mirror, like, putting on the uniform. Pretty good day for Bester. I had <laughs> everything's looking up Millhouse or coming up Millhouse. It, it's totally him being that. Yep, Bester yeah. is very Millhouse. You're right. But then Except who is Bart? Except that he's competent. Yeah. Well, people. listen. I'm the Millhouse to a lot of people in the world, like Jesus, for example. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, Jesus is my Bart Simpson. Like, give me a shirt that says that. Yeah, by the way, my boyfriend crashed and died. That's why I heard that. Oh my god. Angels Rest in peace. By. Yeah, it's really sad. I, I was finally gonna meet him. He's from Canada. Yeah, his name's Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. He works in politics. I don't know, in policy stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Um oh what was I gonna say about that? Oh. And in his little narration, Bester says, Hey, dear diary or whatever. I totally messed with Garibaldi today, just like I wanted to. <laughs> He's doing exactly what I want him to. So Bester is involved with whatever's happening for some reason. But what's happening? I don't know. Garibaldi's being weird. Well, and I don't... weird things are happening in his life. I don't like it. Me neither. Are we? Is it soon? Soon? Yeah, I think so. <sighs> Hurry it up, folks. Everything else in season four is like progressing at a meaningful clip, and this Garibaldi stuff is just crawling. Crawling, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this the Mimbari Civil War's already done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, and we still don't know what's up. With season Garibaldi. four, we've gone through two entire wars. Three, if you include the Londo and Jakar stuff. And we true. still have and we still don't know if Garibaldi's okay. Very true. Mm, okay, well, fair enough. Um speaking of other wars, there's a whole B plot that's much more interesting, if you ask me. Um, I do ask you, is it more interesting? I think so. Yes. Nice. Thank you for asking. The warrior cast moves in on the city of Minbar. On Minbar. The capital city. There's a part where Narun is reporting to a much scarier man with a beard, just like Dukat had a beard. We now have two Minbari with beards. This guy's name is Shakiri. I'm going to call him Shakira for the rest of the episode. Oh, that's great. I like uh, it. He's all, he's also a looker. He's not as handsome as Ducat, but he's sort of got a rugged... He's very rugged. Thing. I think I just like beards. Listen, I can grow you a beard if you want. I can grow I a beard have, on you so you can love yourself. I have one on me. Oh, yeah. Can I? Can you scratch it into the microphone? Okay. Let me just move the pop screen out of the way. Okay. One second, everybody. Sorry. Ew. Ew. Ooh, thank you. Thank you. Yikes. What does that waveform look like? Um, let me just take a look. It just looks like a normal waveform. Okay, fair enough. Are you ASMRing right now? Yeah, yes. Okay, good. Um, Delenn <laughs> decides that she just can't beat the Warriors, and if they're going to take over, then we might as well surrender. Yep. Oh, no. That's so sad. Uh, Narun and Shakira are like, where should we hold the surrender? And, and what should we do when, when Delenn surrenders? And then Shakira's like, the lens not going to make it back to Babylon 5. <laughs> hmm. 
I before that I loved the the conversation that Narun had with, with him and Shakira, uh. where you you realize like oh yeah Narun is still cool. Um, they're talking about like death and if they fear death and Narun's kind of like hey maybe we shouldn't kill so many people. He's like, no warrior says, cast for life. Whatever death life same difference. And uh, you can see Narun being like, Go. I don't know about this guy. I don't don't think I buy into his into his BS. His cult of personality. Yeah. Is maybe his hips do lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back on Minbar, Delenn is getting ready to surrender um, to the warrior cast. It's very sad and somber. Um, she hands Lanier a scroll and says, "Open this in a couple seconds. We're gonna do some nasty shit." <laughs> he's like, "He's yeah. like, yo, word." And she's like, "For real, buddy. For real. <laughs> for real. For real." Um, we go into this room, this like church or whatever, uh, with a huge crowd of witnesses. I kind of wanted this to be the thumbnail because it's like a beautiful shot of all these people, mm-hmm. um, and they're in shock that their religious caste would actually surrender. Um, this is where the stuff pops off. Uh, yeah. Because Delenn basically does the most awesome thing of all time, where everyone criticizes her for not understanding tradition and going against, you know, the old-fashioned Mimbari society, and she's like, "Okay, I get that. Fair enough. Do we want to go? Do you want to go with Valen's wishes? Do you know what people used to do to prove who was the leader? Um, they would use this thing called this, like whatever. This it's like a port light that they just have in the church. Yeah. It just has like a solar flare built into it or something. Yeah, it's called like the star nightmare." hell thing the starfire yeah. wheel mm-hmm. and it's just this cool window that opens up in the middle of this church and everybody who thinks that they can be a leader of Mimbari society walks into it and then whoever survives the longest uh is the the correct leader like belongs there yeah she's like seems good right it's this whole it's this whole thing about like if you're gonna lead and you're going to send people off to die then you need to be willing to die for the for your people right it's killed plenty of people before but you could you should be one of them like you can't have people work for you if you're not willing to work yourself stuff like that um so she's like all right shakira let's go you ready to dance he's like no i'm scared i don't want to do it she's like all right coward all right (laughs) she dips in there this is crazy stop it stop it it hurts it smells bad i don't want to burn all my skin off and she's like do it you coward um, she I, walks I love that. I love the moment even before this where she says the religious cast surrenders and then yep. nobody reacts in the audience. And he's like, uh, hello, they surrendered. This is awesome. Now we're in charge. We won. Yes. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. We, we win. Yeah. Um, so um, she yeah, steps into the, into the starlight memory, the stardust memory. Uh, mm-hmm. she's like get in there it'll be cool I promise I love it in here I'm so comfortable in here do you want people to work with you or not and he's like fine and he goes in for two seconds and he's like uh, come on like Dylan it'll be sick if you and I will get out at the same time then uh, we'll work together Just trying to call her bluff ow it's hot in here ouchie, ouchie. Like he pops guy. out this is yeah. such a great scene to watch it's kind of hard to describe because it's so physical but he gets out and then she stays, and they're like, "Wait, why is she staying? She can just leave now. She won." And yeah, like, N- Nerun cements for us that he was a good guy because he says, "Wait, wait, wait Lanier. When Delenn and I were having our secret good guy meeting, and we made our good guy plan, in the good guy plan, she said she'd jump out at this point. Why didn't she jump out yeah. with me, a good guy? 
Uh, and uh, he's like, Lanier's like, she's doing it to prove a point, like, basically. Yeah, like, even now, she's just going to die. Delenn was ready to, to, to for it to be over. Yep. Right there. If if the plan worked exactly as she intended, she would have just been, she would have died. Or, like, exactly as she intended, rather. Yeah. Um, Naruin's like, no, I mustn't do that. And not only does this absolute unit of a lad push Delenn out of the way and jump himself into the Stardust memory... But then he yells up to the sky, uh, I finally understand where I belong. I belong to the religious caste. Well, he says, the true calling of my heart is religion. Even better, even better. <laughs> <laughs> that feeling when, when, when Jesus is on your side once. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, this is beautiful. Yeah, it's so dorky, but like in the most perfect way. Wow, Babylon 5 in a nutshell. Yeah. Um. Not only does this go great, you're like, okay, that's really beautiful. Like, rest in peace, Naroon. Such a beautiful moment. I'm so happy that Delenn's okay and everyone's happy and everyone's like, good now, right? Yeah. Delenn's like, hold on, we're not done yet. Someone needs to be in power now because obviously Shakira can't be in power anymore. Yeah. So, and obviously I can't be the only one in power being an accidental dictator because that was bad. Because we it exactly talked about how that, that specific thing is not good. So let's let's introduce, and it's kind of like like a sitcom introduction. She's like, "It's the new Gray Council, Warrior Number One, Warrior Two, Religious Number One, Religious Number Two. Hold on, we have five slots left. Get in here, workers! Get in here! Come on!" And it's all these like down on their luck worker cast people, and she's like, "Hey, we have been manipulating the worker cast." For the entirety of our society, and we've never given them a chance to speak their mind, even though they are the vocal ma- majority. What if we fix that, and we finally gave the workers the power, and we worked for them instead of them working for us? This is the future liberals want. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man, uh, this is the moment where I finally have decided I'm not going to doubt JMS in any way yeah. anymore. Yeah. Because every time that we've seen Mimbari society, I've thought to myself, huh, why are we not talking about the only workers? seeing the priests and the warriors and not the workers? Huh, there's a civil war between the castes, but one of the three castes isn't being mentioned. What's going on here? And then even in the moment where she's naming who's in the in the thing, um she's like Oh, here's this guy from the warrior cast, this guy from the religious cast, this guy from the warrior cast, this guy from the religious cast. You're like, so okay. in my head, I'm like, okay, what about the workers? Are you about to name a couple workers in a row just to mix up the rhythm? And then she says, everyone else's work, worker cast. Beautiful moment. Yeah, this this both... I almost cried. I was shaking. Um because I was just like, they can't, they can't be doing this. Like, and she's saying all the right things. She's saying like, how do, why did they work for us when we should be working for them? Why is the majority not getting any sort of power or any chance? That seems unfair and broken in a, in a way that mm-hmm. we should fix right now, in like a visual way, uh, by yeah. giving them power again. Uh, it gives me faith that they know and understand their own continuity, because mm-hmm. they, like you said, have mentioned workers before and never really like gave them a plot or concern. And at just the right moment, they decided, no, we know that that was a thing and we're going to make it, we're going to bring it front and center. And it also gives me faith that they do understand or they've at least come to understand things about 
uh, policy and how things are supposed to change and, and how meaningful change can be by just accomplished by giving power to the average person. And it also speaks volumes about like Delenn, how legitimately wise Delenn is and not just like, ooh, I'm a priest, blah, 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 wise right. she is um, because she knows what's actually going to fix her society. With the Mimbari cast stuff finally figured out, we have a moment to breathe, and then the show is like, no, we can't have downtime because it's season four. We're going to do a little jump forward. Uh, I presume this is where the time jump happens, like a little bit, uh, because we're in Sheridan's quarters, and we find out some very serious news from Ravanova, which is that a civilian ship filled with hundreds of thousands of people who didn't do anything wrong except try to leave their planet uh, was destroyed instantly by an earth ship uh and they see footage of it and she tells sheridan she's almost in tears she's saying this is unfair how can they do this um this is coming from the proxima three jump gate they they're innocent people there like why did they do this all this stuff sheridan agrees these are in fact war crimes that we're witnessing this is no longer like fun like religious not religious but like government cruelty this is now time for us to take the fight to president clark like oh my god oh my god we are going to conquer mars and earth simultaneously it kind of feels like clark is like the villain of babylon 5 because clark represents so much about he's certainly a villain right yes but he's like the highest up villain because like obviously the shadows and the vorlons were big but uh obviously even in the universe those conflicts felt separate from everything else but like the problems with Earth Alliance have been permeating like minute one of this show since Santiago was president, you know? So it feels like a yeah. big deal that like Clark is still around. He's he's doing like terrible things. I'm curious what their plan was. Like the Omega destroyers, the Earth Force destroyers. Like why would you why are you destroying civilian ships? What was the plan there? Um, because if you're just trying to start yeah, war, you know that I didn't understand. Maybe they're trying to start war because they still have like Psychor allies and they think that they can, you know, bait Babylon 5 into attacking them. It's the only thing that makes sense. They like want to bait Babylon 5 because they think they can beat them, you think? Yes, I do. Interesting. Because they're one ship. Then it kind of. Then it kind of makes Sheridan seem foolish, right? That he just takes the bait fully. I mean, he's taken the bait plenty of times before. And you have to. He's saying, like, there's no longer, like, this is successful bait because I I can't not take it. Right. That's true. You know, it's a it's a failure on his part if anybody finds out about this. And it's on the news, so they found out about it um, yeah. if he doesn't act on it. So it's like, well, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing is acting on it. Um, this, yeah. speaks, this speaks to, I think, what... Um, oh what Ryan was asking us about filler or fluff in the emails. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, I think in a different Babylon five season, we would have ended the Mimbari civil war plot and we would have done this like Garibaldi bester Lita thing. And then we would have gotten an episode that's like, "Uh Oh, Zach Allen's got to get all the spaghetti (laughs) back in the spaghetti sector. (laughs) Got to put the pizza back. Sorry. The sauce got everywhere. <laughs> and then at the end of that episode, they'd be like, now we By the way. conquer Earth. Right. But they just cut out the spaghetti episode, which is a, a travesty for sure. Yeah, we need a spaghetti dimension. Yeah. 
but that's um, just how season five or season four do it. Yeah. Filler in previous Babylon 5 episodes has usually been like, this is 90% filler, then 1% very important. Not 10% very important. Forgot how percents worked for a second there. Um, so yeah. It's uh, it's pretty wild stuff. I'm excited to actually like get to Earth and Mars and see where all that stuff. I assume they start on Mars. You know, that makes the most sense. Yeah, it seems like, well, Sheridan's like, we'll go to the colonies and we'll go to Mars and we'll go to Earth. They're going to go to Proxima 3 first. Proxima yeah. 3, and we'll go to, yeah. Cool. So let's get there. Uh, do you think it's going to work? What do you, what do you think? Oh, I think it's going to be really messy and sad, actually. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, you think someone's going to die? I mean, every time we talk about them assassinating Clark, people are like, ah! Uh, so, like, it's not, that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, do you he, think Sheridan's going to become president? Uh, I don't want, no. Or do you think he's going to win the popular vote? It's going to be one of those, like, yeah, he's going to, like, win the popular Bleh, I hate that, yeah. actually. I don't want need Sheridan to... It's too soon to laugh about just fundamental flaws in our <laughs> democracy. Yeah. Structural flaws that will doom us to minority rule for generations to come. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> Zooty Zooty. Zooty. <laughs> what are we watching next week? Uh, well... We are watching the next two episodes of Babylon 5 Season 4. First up is episode 15, No Surrender, No Retreat. Sheridan again gets ready for war after 10,000 unarmed refugees are killed. So, basically what we saw. Um, and then Season 4, Episode 16, The Exercise of Vital Power. Hmm. Garibaldi arrives on Mars to rendezvous with a powerful business leader, and their plans could cost Sheridan his life. Hmm. Dun dun. So we get conflict. We get Earth conflict, and then we get Mars. This is that's what I want. Yeah, we're about to get some Mars stuff. Seems like seems like the Garibaldi stuff's gonna finally do something. We're approaching my third birthday. Ooh, yay! Getting old. We passed my third birthday then? Oh, yeah, a little bit ago. Yep. We lapped you. A little bit, yeah. Just before the season started was my third birthday. So what were you doing on your third birthday? What, did, you, did you get like a cake or? I probably got a cake. Yeah. Probably got a cake. Um, Alan, should we take it home? Yeah, we should take it home. Get a cake ourselves, a modern day cake. Let's, uh, let's take it home and have our own cake so to speak and uh, do the plugs so as always you can reach out to us with questions comments thoughts suggestions whatever else by saying, sending us an email at chatspot at gmail.com uh, every week we read the things that you send us on the air and there's not really uh you know it's not really a process to like not reading this reading this we read everything um so get your voice heard it's great you can also follow us on twitter or tweet at us there if you prefer to do that uh by following at chatspod and as always chats is spelled c-h-a-t-z and pod is spelled p-o-d that one's normal you can support the show and we would love for you to do that over at our patreon which is at patreon.com slash chatspod 
There are three levels of support that you can join at. You can back us at a dollar a month and get access to monthly movie commentaries. Alan, guess what? In August, you know what we're watching? I do know what we're watching. Tell me, though. We're watching the M. Night Shyamalan film, The Last Airbender. We put it off um, when we were watching Avatar The Last Airbender because I couldn't bear to think about watching it. And we've finally mustered the, the, the stomach. I don't know if that's a saying. But after years of not doing it, we're going to do it. And it's going to be fun. You can also back us at $3 a month, and that gives you that, plus access to the bi-weekly Hangout Show Chats Nights. And at $5 a month, you get access to both of those things, as well as pilot chats, where we test out potential new future shows to watch for this show. Uh, please do that. We appreciate every single dollar that comes our way. It helps to pay for our time. And we give of our time freely because we love this and we love hanging out with each other. But if we could do that and also uh, it not be free and we have a little money that, you know, that's not so bad. Um, so thank you so much. And also formal apology to being so for being so rude <laughs> to all of our emailers mm -hmm. uh, during the email segment. I hope you know that it was out of love and affection. Uh, did I miss anything there? Uh, rate us on iTunes. Oh, yes. Rate us on iTunes, please. Uh, you can find us Chats, a television podcast. Five stars only. If you have other stars, you can put them in the sky. Ooh. That's, that's, what they, that's what the folksy aphorism that I've got for you today. Uh, and, of course, we always end every episode not by uh, doing plugs for other things that we do because we don't really do a lot of other things. Um, instead, we give you a chatsum to snack on between now and next episode. Alan, do you have a chatsum for the folks? Uh, I have two chatsums for the folks. Whoa! Get out of town. Do it for the folks. And come back into the town and tell me your chatsums. Do you want the media one or the real life one first? Media and then real life. That's what I'm feeling. Okay. So for the media one, uh, a band I've discovered recently that I really, really am enjoying. Uh, they're called Lawrence. Yes. Uh, led by both Clyde and Gracie Lawrence, two siblings, actually, uh, from New York City, so from Magellan's uh, area of the universe. Yes. Um, they have a band with them as well, the, the whole band Lawrence. Um, recently got signed by one of my other favorite artists, John Bellion, to his new studio, Beautiful Mind, uh, his production company. And so I've been getting into their 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 work, and I really love their style. Um, mm. It's generally a little bit uh, pop funky, like funky pop. Not, not not Funko Pop, but Funky Pop. Yeah, it's like Yeah, it's very Bernabernow. And um they have two <laughs> full albums out so far. One is called Living Room, which I like a lot, and one is called Breakfast, which I like uh, also a lot for for different reasons. Yeah. Um and honestly, you can listen to all their music and get into it, but I I also recommend just going on their YouTube channel and checking out their videos because they're doing videos that I would say closest resemble stuff like uh, okay go or Wolfpack. oh cool you know where it's sort of like they're doing creative ideas with all their music videos they had one where um it's like about like it's kind of like a sexy song and it's sort of like hot and it they're it's just their entire band eating food with like really crazy hot sauce um hmm. and just like bursting hmm. to the mouth while they're singing about like the beauty the beauty of like falling in love with someone That's... um they do another one that i really like uh called do you want to do nothing with me which uh i believe that's the one that has the video no do you want to do nothing with me is the one with the uh like they have 
an artist like animate behind them while they're playing on their couch in their apartment, which is really cute. Um, so check that video out. And then finally, uh, what's the one where they like walk around uh, New York, Magellan? The one I linked to you. What's that song called? Probably up. Probably up. It's my summer jam. Yeah, probably up's extremely fun. Um, and the video is just them and their band uh, walking around New York City and going on little adventures from sunset to sunrise. Uh, so it's sort of like a reverse before. Well, no, it's like before sunrise. Yeah, they just kind of did it before sunrise, except without the like falling in love with each other. And instead replace it with playing pool at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing you can really just do in New York? You can just play pool at four yeah. in the morning? Yep. Yep. And people are can. there and it's like crowded? Yep. You certainly can do that. I got to go. I got to get me to New York, my dude. Come on over. We'll, we'll find the spot. I'm that... sure that's we're going to get hustled real good, though. So. <laughs> I, I hope so. That's part of the vibe. Yeah, so watch out. Um, I'm actually going to get to see them in concert in less than two weeks from when we're recording this. So Wow. It's almost like you have a friend... Who you didn't invite i actually definitely invited you to this like this was months ago so it maybe eat my butt were at that point so yeah oh that's true when uh when where's the con is in um it's boston it's in b-town okay yes it's in b-town but yeah check out lawrence l-a-w-r-e-n-c-e they're incredibly talented good musicians yeah probably up is a great song mm-hmm. it's a jam it's a bop it's a bop and it slaps uh, Majon, what's your chatsum for this week? My chatsum for this week, uh, well, I've got a... Well, you didn't tell me your life one, did you? Oh, sure. You want my, my second one as well? Yeah. Um, I recommend you try stargazing, folks. Yeah. Just go get a blanket. Go somewhere that's, like, away from the city. Go with, like, a person or two. Get some flashlights so you don't, you know, be safe, obviously. And just look up. Just look. It's one of those things where you're like, this. I do like I do this. Like I know how to be like deep and like look at. I've seen the sky before, and it's like no, make the ritual out of it. Like go do it. It's so fun and beautiful, and you know we don't look. We don't just like spend time looking straight up at the sky and thinking about how big it is. It's very big, is what I learned. Um, in my aforementioned uh, vacation to Maine, we did some of that, and for me, it was like a, a like an almost religious experience because. I don't do stuff like that a lot. And I like had this moment. I was telling Magellan where I looked up like beyond where my neck usually goes back. I like pulled all the way back and I like saw curvature and I was like, am I seeing the curvature of the earth? Am I dying? <laughs> I started crying. So like, you got to do it. Just go stargazing. It's so good. Play some nice music. Um, play some like Sufjan Stevens or something and just do it now while it's still summer. August is like the perfect month for stargazing. So you got to just get out there. Yeah. And <clears throat> feel the damn thing. That's great. I've got I've got two for you also. Oh, Shaz, dude, give me them. Yeah, my first one is, um, you know, try fennel. <laughs> I tried fennel. I ordered dinner from a, a roast chicken place nearby, and uh, fennel got fennel as a side. Fennel al forno, which means fennel to the oven. <laughs> it does. It does. Something, something like that. Uh, like fennel with the, you know, F E N N E L oven. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Fennel in the style of the oven. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like al dente to the tooth. You know? Oh, to the oven. To the oven, yeah. Uh, it was good. I, I, fennel was something I never knew what it was, but it's just like a kind of artichokes were leeks, you know? And it's good. Yeah. 
Um, more serious one. I have a book to recommend. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. You know that I'm a history guy and you know that I'm a poetry guy. And this book is a great combination of both. So the year is 2019, which means that 100 years ago was 1919. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 1919, uh, there were a series of race riots in northern cities um, as a result of a few things. I mean, the Great Migration of African Americans from the Jim Crow South mm -hmm. northward uh, shifted demographics in northern cities and kind of agitated racist white uh, territorialism in those places um and then there were uh, you know you can speak to the fact that the growth of like the harlem renaissance and the naacp um those sort of like black pride movements and organizations and people emboldened African-Americans to engage in uh, violent resistance to white oppression and to white uh, perpetrated violence. Anyway, a few different factors. And so you get a series of race riots in the Northern cities um, known as the Red Summer. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest or kind of most historically significant race riots is called was uh, happened in Chicago in July of 1919. And this woman who is a sociologist and poet named Evel Ewing, she, in the process of doing some other project, came across this big report that the city of Chicago hired a committee to write in 1922 called the Negro in Chicago, a study on race relations and a race riot. Okay. So it's this like 400 plus page thing. And she read through it. And then what she does in the book is she takes snippets of the report and then writes poems inspired by those snippets. Yeah. And so some of them are about like talking about the great migration. Some of them are about talking about the realities of the riot itself and then there's a third section that's kind of like after that's talking, sorry, that's talking about the legacy of these riots and other related incidents and ideas in American history. Um, and I think it's a, just a great way to enter into understanding this moment, because I think that our understanding of race relations in the United States is kind of limited to this narrative of like there was slavery and then there was segregation and then the civil rights movement fixed it. Um, and there are just a lot of pieces of that story that are missing, including the part of the story that is about racism and violence uh, in the North uh, as well as in the South. I'd like to read um, one of the poems. What do you think of that? Uh, I'm going to allow it. Okay, great. This one struck me and it kind of can exist outside of the, the narrative of the book. A lot of them can, um, but this one especially, I think, lives well outside of the book and inside the present moment. It's called Sightseers. So the section from the report says, Often the sightseers and even those included in the nucleus did not know why they had taken part in the crime in crimes, the viciousness of which was not apparent to them until afterward, page 23. Then there's a quote from Hannah Arendt from The Life of the Mind that says, 
The sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their minds to be good or evil. Uh, and then this is the poem. Just this once, I hope you'll forgive me for writing a somewhat didactic poem. I just didn't know how else to say that we live in a time of sightseers standing on the bridge of history, watching the water go by. And there are bodies in the water, and the water has been dirty for so long, and the sightseers still drink from it. They buy special filters, and they smile. They have nice glasses and teacups. They put sugar in the dirty water that has our bodies in it. And there are sightseers seated beneath the Tower of Empire, peering up at the lights, and there are children in the tower. And the tower has been crooked for so long, and the sightseers still look at it. They find the lights enchanting. They meet up on the weekends. They have picnics in the plaza of the tower that has our children in it. And there are sightseers looking at the House of Power, waiting to take a tour, and there are devils in the house. And the house has been wicked for so long, and the sightseers still worship it. They stand in front and take pictures. They marvel at the white pillars. They send postcards of the house that has the devils in it. And just this once, I hope you'll forgive me for asking you directly to forget the lovely water, to forget the charming pillars, because there are children in the tower. There are children in the tower. There are children in the tower, and they are dead already. Thank you. Yeah, so it's really cool, powerful stuff. And if you're looking for just like a poetry book that kind of opens you up and connects you to history, I really highly recommend it. What's the poetry book itself called? 1919. Sorry, I never said the title. It's called 1919. <laughs> all good, all good. Uh, so 1919 by Evel Ewing. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. People should check that out. And uh, awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chat Salon 5. Peace, everyone. Bye.